running away from people now. 20, 10, and gone. Moniel, 67-yard touchdown run. I've got reporters' <laughs> notebooks older than Seth. Fati was always soft. Can't uh, win on the road, they say. <laughs> DeVito pop pass, end zone, touchdown, and the ball game. DeVito in relief, wins it for the Orange. This is Orange Nation, brought to you by Charles Heating and Air Conditioning with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Good afternoon, everyone. Glad to have you with us alongside Seth Goldberg. I'm Stephen Fontes. We welcome you into a Thursday edition of Orange Nation. 315-437-7644 if you'd like to get involved in the show. A couple of guests lined up for you, one each hour. We've got Nate Mink from Syracuse.com set to join us at 1230. And then our good friend Steve Andrews from Radio.com Sports set to join us at 130 as we get you set for week six of the NFL season. More positive tests in the NFL today, Seth. The the Falcons now dealing uh, with four positive tests within their organization. Uh, that game with the Vikings up in the air. Uh, Falcons shutting down their practice facility for today. And uh, we'll have to wait and see. Every, every situation is different. We saw the Titans and Bills play despite two dozen positive tests within the Titans organization. So, again, four positive tests does not mean that that game is off the table, but... We'll have to certainly keep our eye on that situation over the course of the next couple of days. And how about in the college game? Uh, you know, look look at the SEC. The SEC is being ravaged by this. I mean, they've got some serious problems, uh, you know, with Florida uh, having now clusters of positive tests. Their game got canceled this weekend. Vanderbilt had to cancel their game because they have too few scholarship players. Ole Miss says they're dealing with an outbreak now. And, oh, by the way, the most prominent coach in your game just tested positive as well can so I, can there's I an issue you, there's an there's something going on there can i ask you a question about the nick saban situation um so he's 68 years old obviously falls within that demographic of you know the our, our older citizens need to take this even more seriously than the rest of us and we know it's a serious situation for everyone but the you know the older generation is is even more impacted by this he's 68 years old had a positive test yesterday so that's Wednesday. They play Saturday, and I know it's a big game. He's asymptomatic, which is good news, and, and you hope he continues to stay that way. But the fact that Nick Saban is saying that he is still hoping to coach on Saturday. That's probably not a good idea. To me, it boggles my mind. Um, you know, just to bring it back here locally, our mayor happened to be in the same room with, you know, the mayor of Binghamton, who right. tested positive. And so what did Ben Walsh do? He is quarantining for 14 days. He's taken several tests. All of them have come back negative, but yet he is continuing to quarantine. And to me, that's the smart thing to do. And you've got Nick Saban, 24 hours removed from a positive test, saying, I still might coach this weekend. I know it's a really important game, but to me, that's, that's overboard. Well, this goes into this goes into something larger, doesn't it? It goes into the the mentality of the football coach to to some extent, well, right? Where yes. where football football is like the biggest, most important thing ever, and we need to play through global pandemics and natural disasters because you can't go without your football. And like that's kind of what it it shows to me is is these coaches in so many instances are so narrowly focused on football and nothing but football. And, like, I think a lot of times it does a detriment to them and to, to like, 
just the the general nature of the sport. Like I don't think it's a good thing to be that like singularly narrowly focused. Like this game is the most important thing ever. Yeah, I, I think we're like on the Hugh same Free- page. Like with Hugh this. Freeze coaching from the hospital bed is right. very similar. Yes. Um, I think we're on the same page with this. You know, Ben Walsh is an essential worker. If he wanted to return to the office after a couple of negative tests... He could have. He could have. And and he should be allowed to. Um, He's doing the the smart thing, and out of an abundance of caution and all that, he's staying home quarantining for 14 days. You know, Nick Saban, while I'm sure he looks at himself as essential, I'm not sure, you know, the head football coach of a a college team right now is is considered essential. And I, I... respect the fact that he wants to coach just like players want to play even if they're hurt they want to come back as quickly as possible I understand that but and I know every conference is different with what their protocols are correct me if I'm wrong I believe the SEC it's either 14 or 21 days that if someone tests positive that player then has to sit it's it's a minimum of 14 well, I think but it's it, 14 the big 10 was 21 it's okay because I, so I think there was, the SEC is 14 there was one conference that was 21 okay fine so even if it's 14. Again, he tested positive yesterday. If he was a player, he would have to sit for 14 days before he would be allowed to rejoin the team and team activities and all that. So why is the coach more important than the players? Because he's he's the coach, because he's the general. I understand. He's he's the commander-in-chief. It should not be like that, though. No, of course it shouldn't. Of course it should. If they were playing Louisiana Monroe, would he be coaching this weekend? No, No, he's only doing it because it's Georgia. and, And to me, that's... That's not having your priorities straight. And, and again, no, for Nick Saban, it, he thinks he does. <laughs> but when you when you look at it, when you take a step back and look at it, that's that's not having your priorities straight. No, but Steve, how many times have we seen that football football coaches don't have their priorities straight? I mean, how many times have we seen? And it's that, not just football that, coaches. I mean, it's sure, it, but, but no, but but it's yes. specifically to this instance, like, I, and I'm not talking about the pandemic. Like, I'm I'm just talking big picture generally. Um, again, we watched a coach coach from a hospital bed in a in a suite last yeah. year. Uh, you know, because he needed to be a part of his team's first game, you know, and, and we've seen coaches, you know, say, eh, that hurricane, like we've got to play football, you know, and, and just various different things that just don't make any kind of sense. And like, to me, it's just the mentality of football that, that makes some of these people push through. And, and you saw that this summer, like, why are we playing football right now? As you, again, you can say it's, it's worked, but like, to what extent has it worked as now four SEC teams are potentially well, knocked out? A great like, <laughs> example is Dan Mullen saying, you know, I want to fill the swamp and you know our, our home right. crowd means a lot to us and and then has a chance to take it back. And no, I, I meant what I said. Let's get eighty to ninety thousand people in there. Like what? The governor said it's okay. Right. And then they have to it's, postpone it's the, same, the game because of coronavirus. It's the same it's the same idea. And it, it's just kind of the the macho mentality of nothing's going to stop us. Right, we're going to play no matter what. Right, it's the it's also like the army mentality of football. Right, like and and we've you you can make the army comparisons all you want from the strategy and saying this guy you know the the motions and the terminology and and using the grid and, and all that kind of stuff. Like people have made those kinds of comparisons before, and you view the head coach as the general and the leader and, and all that stuff. Um, you know the army has I'm sure very similar thoughts. Like hey, it doesn't matter what's going on around us we got to go do our job and football coaches have taken that approach in the same way hey doesn't matter what's going on around us got to go do our job it comes across as, as being a little tone deaf if you ask me that in the middle of this whole thing and as we get ready for the winter and 
everybody's bracing for the second wave of this, and you know we're seeing cases go up in a lot of places, including here in central New York. It just to me, it comes across as tone deaf that he tests positive for coronavirus, and I feel fine. I want to be out there Saturday. Like I get that you want to be out there Saturday, but is that the right thing to do as a leader? Is that the right thing to do? Because no. again, I relate it back to what's going on here. Like Ben Walsh is is the leader of of a team in that he's the leader of this city, and he decided to. You know, do the smart thing. I'm going to quarantine for 14 days. That's the smart thing to do. You it's don't the want, responsible thing you don't to do. Want people in your community, you don't want people in your community going to work if they're sick. Well, then then show them how you're supposed to handle this, and that's what Ben Walsh is doing. And, and I again, he wants his players to go by the protocols and do the right things. Then, again, him as the leader, he should do the right things. It's one of those do-as-I-say-not-as-I-do situations, yeah. right? If, if Nick Saban shows up on Saturday, it's... One, he's above the rules, and two, it's a do as I say, not as I do. It's it's hey, don't worry, like you know, I'll, I'll be okay. Yeah, I don't know right. if you guys will be if you test right. positive, but Son, I'll be okay. if you if you tested positive, you'd have to sit for fourteen days. But I'm different. I'm more important than you, and I'm, I'm going to come back in two or three days because this is Georgia, and this is our season, and we're trying to make the college football playoff. It's the way just the way you laid that out also does, the, the way you laid that out also does feel very appropriate for college football in particular. Yeah, these players disposable. Coach, yeah, coach, no, coach has to. Coach has to be there. It's these so these players, like, eh, if it's Mac Jones or the backup, like, whatever. Coach, though. Yeah. Mm, Nick Saban can't miss a game. It's hypocritical. In, in, in any event, I didn't even mean to start the show like that, but you brought up SEC and COVID, and I, I just, it, it bothered me when I saw that. You know, that he said all the right things initially about, we got to take this seriously, and I'm still, you know, wearing a mask, and we've been socially distant, I think we're going to be okay because I've been following protocols. And then, you know, he goes on to say, "Well, I just need two, you know, negative tests, and I'll, you know, I'm going to be there Saturday. I, I want to be out there." Co- and it just, you, it, it just, I don't know. Just stay home, like do lead you by also, example. Do you also wonder now? And I know that it hasn't been like explicitly proven. I, I will say that right on the front. I know it hasn't been explicitly proven yet. Uh, do you feel now that it's more likely that? Like transmission through football games is is a thing, um, and again, it hasn't explicitly been proven. But Florida's athletic director said, "Yeah, we think that it had to do. We think that some of our positive tests had to do with our travel to College Station to to Texas A and M." Uh, you look at Ole Miss dealing with an outbreak, and they say that the same day that Nick Saban tests positive. You know, like it's it's harder and harder to. You know, it makes me question it more, I guess I should say. It's not harder and harder to deny because, again, it's not explicitly proven. But it makes me question more whether it is a source of transmission. And I would imagine it has to be. You're getting people together and you don't know, you know, if every single person is really in the clear based on, you know, testing being a snapshot a snapshot of exactly that well, moment. Didn't we see, and I, I, I forget off the top of my head who it was, didn't we see an NBA player test positive who had guarded Rudy Gobert? I think so. I, I want to say that when that whole thing came down, and I know that there were some positive tests within that organization, but that could have been transmitted in the locker room and guys just being around each other. But I, I if I'm not mistaken, I believe that a player that had guarded Rudy Gobert that two nights prior familiar. had tested positive as well. Um, and I realize that's indoors opposed to outdoors, but I would think that playing sports, I mean, why why do we have all our kids running around with masks on? Both my kids play soccer. You know, my daughter's had a game earlier this week. Everybody's running around in masks. 
Um, and they again, they're they're doing it for a reason. Nobody wants to do it. The players don't want it. It's uncomfortable to them. It's different, but they want to play games, and and that is the safest way to play a game. So, if you're asking me, do I think it can be transmitted uh, playing a, a contact sport? I mean, I, I do. I mean, I, I based on what we've we've learned to this point. Um, I I think that's I think that's very possible. Yeah, I mean I thought that before, but everybody kept saying no, 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 it's not. Don't stop. You're you're worrying too much. Don't be ridiculous. Like that's kind of the reaction anytime you thought of it before. But you know I look at this weekend in the SEC and I feel like it's hard to to say it's not for sure the reason that it's it's spread. Yeah, I mean I I think it's a it's a strong possibility, and we're we're learning more and more about the viruses, you know, by the days and the weeks, and you hope that we're getting closer and closer to a vaccine and getting to the other side of it. But in the meantime, we're getting ready to go into the winter months, at least up here. Um, it's going to get colder. More people are going to be indoors. This is not the time to relax, and no. um, you know to to hear the head coach of, you know, one of the, the top college football powers saying, yeah, I, I tested positive, but I feel fine. I should be able to go to work tomorrow, which is essentially what he's saying. When all of our leaders are telling us, you know. Don't do if, that. If you're sick, don't go to work. Like, that's how other people get sick. And and we've got Nick Saban saying, you know, I want to go to work tomorrow. Let's just, let's be smart about this, people, I guess is, is my, my thought. So with that in mind, let's take our first time out. I know we wanted to get into what Nate Mink wrote yesterday, and, and we've got Nate Mink coming up on the show. So we'll get into some SU football next. 315-437-7644. Back after this on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. This is Orange Nation with Stephen Fonte and Seth Goldberg. Stephen Seth back with you on a Thursday edition of Orange Nation. We're brought to you in part by Billy Whitaker's October 200 sale going on right now. 315-437-7644 if you'd like to get involved. We've got Nate Mink from Syracuse.com set to join us in about 10 minutes from now. Nate uh, posted a story yesterday on Syracuse.com that, that certainly caught your eye, Seth, and um, and I had a chance to read it uh, afterwards once you, you let me know about it. Uh, regarding... The fact that, that Syracuse will go into this game against Liberty on Saturday with less than 60 scholarship players suiting up for a variety of reasons. Opt-outs, injuries, you know, in Chris Bleich's case, uh, you know, a kid who, who was not ruled eligible by the NCAA had to sit out because of the transfer rule. Um, that's, I mean, you normally see, what, 90 guys on a sideline for a home game? They've, they've got less than 60 right. um, that, that are going to be suiting up on Saturday, and and that is a, it's a red flag. Yeah, and it's a real problem because they can't, they can't get any lower. You know, that's, that's where the real issue comes in. They can't drop much lower than what they're at now and still be able to play football games. You know, still be able to play um, at an ACC level. You you just can't compete the way the way that they are right now. They're basically set up like an FCS school with with the scholarship numbers they have. Um, you know, or or if you you want to look back at like the restrictions that were put on Penn State, uh, where they had to lose so many scholarships a year. Like that's where Syracuse is right now with scholarship players. Uh, they're at a decimated level, and um, you know all these conferences have put 
rest, uh, roster minimums into place. And, you know, it's it's X number of offensive linemen, X number of scholarship players overall. I mentioned Vanderbilt in the first part of the show, and Vanderbilt didn't have enough players or offensive linemen to, to play in a game. They did not meet the SEC's roster minimums. And Syracuse is getting very close to that. The ACC has set a roster minimum. There's one requirement on there, and that is you have to have seven healthy offensive linemen, seven healthy scholarship offensive linemen. Right now, Syracuse has eight, and that includes a converted fullback tight end. Um, now, he, he counts, right? He is an offensive lineman this year. He counts, but that, that shows really where this team is. Um, now... I, I don't know I don't know that somebody getting injured and hitting seven would trigger a game getting canceled for Syracuse because none of this as far as we know, none of this is COVID related. So I'm not totally sure that that triggers a cancellation. I believe and I've, I I got this backed up by a by a, a source that it's a COVID policy. So I think that if they reach that number, they could kind of reach out to the ACC and be like, hey, here's what we're dealing with. But I don't think that it would be an automatic, whereas if if an offensive lineman, you know, tested positive for COVID next week and all of a sudden they were down to seven or, you know, six or five due to contact tracing, like that would be it. Well, that would be triggered by the league, but the league can't force Syracuse to play. Like if Syracuse doesn't have the bodies, then that's a Syracuse decision, right? I mean, if they were to, if they were only to have six healthy offensive linemen, let's say, but it wasn't COVID related, ACC can't force them to play. No, I can't imagine they would be forced to play. And I, I think that also, I would also imagine that if they went to the league and said, "Hey, here's our situation," the league would say, "Yeah, you probably, probably shouldn't. Probably play. not the best idea to play this game. <laughs> right? You probably shouldn't play in a year where we're making so many strange adjustments." Now, the question that I do wonder about is in this situation, would they reschedule? Would they push to that December 12th week that has already been used as a buffer week? They've already moved the ACC championship. about this particular game, right? No, like I'm just talking about a particular game with Syracuse given given these circumstances. You know, if, if they had to cancel for these reasons, injuries, rather than a COVID protocol thing, would the ACC still postpone? Or would they say, hey, this is just injuries? Like... We're saving our postponements. We're saving that week, that that extra week at the end, that December twelfth weekend. Like we're saving that for COVID stuff. My guess is, if it's a conference game, they would want to reschedule the conference game. Uh, if it's this particular game, and it, it, it's not an issue because Syracuse has enough offensive linemen for this game. But if you were going into Liberty with six or seven healthy offensive linemen, I don't know as if they would necessarily be allowed to play this game. Um, at the very end of the season. I guess it would be up to the two schools then, not necessarily up to the conference. Um, As Nate points out in his piece, Syracuse started the year with 13 offensive linemen. They are down to eight, and of those eight, you've got Chris Elmore that you pointed out, a converted fullback slash tight end, um, and you've also got three freshmen. So half of the offensive linemen are either freshmen or a guy who that's not his position. Has never done this before. Um, So again, that that is concerning. And, you know, you hope that it doesn't lead to more injuries. Because if you can't block, I mean, we saw Tommy DeVito get injured. I'm not saying it's necessarily the offensive line's fault. I mean, injuries happen. I mean, that was going to happen at some point. The most sacked quarterback. You know, imagine that. The most sacked quarterback in all of college football for the last year and a half got hurt um, because he got sacked. Who would have thought? So, 
again, unfathomable. And, and, I, and I'm 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 not even trying to make light of the situation. I, you know, it's it's obviously serious. Like when you're talking injuries, like you don't want more guys to get hurt by putting players in the game, especially at the offensive line position, that maybe are not ready to be in that position. When you're talking three freshmen, um, you know, on the offensive line, that could lead to more injuries, either with them or with those that they're blocking for, namely a quarterback, running back, so on and so forth. So it, it this this injury bug thing, it does have a tendency to snowball, especially when you're talking about guys up front. Yes, it creates problems. You know, and, and I think that position more than any is the one that could lead to more injuries. You know, if okay, if you don't have a linebacker, you just plug in the next linebacker. You don't have a, a corner, you plug in the next corner. Although uh, Syracuse only apparently has four healthy scholarship corners at this point. So you're getting close to not being able to just plug in somebody else. But the offensive line has the potential to get somebody else hurt, whether that's a quarterback or a running back. Um, like that, That is dangerous. And I think that that's why you've seen, whether it's the ACC or the Big Ten or the, or the SEC, I think that's why you've seen that they've put those rules in place. These, these roster minimums, uh, really, really center around offensive linemen. Like they have general numbers and they say, hey, you know, if you get to like 55 scholarship players, you probably shouldn't be playing. But the more important part of it is, uh, oh, and you should have more than eight offensive linemen. Like you should have enough offensive well, linemen to feel comfortable. And, and there's a reason for that. What is the job of the offense? Like, don't even think about it. What's the job of an offensive lineman? Protection. Protect, right. To protect. And if you can't protect yourself or protect those behind you, then that can lead to an unsafe situation. And and so I, I think that it's, it's smart that that rule is on the books. You certainly don't want to put someone who is not equipped to be an offensive lineman at an offensive lineman spot. It's not good for them. It's not good for those that they are protecting for. Done it once this year. With Chris Elmore, is that what you're saying? I mean, he's been fine. He's, but I mean, he's been fine, he and and he, you know, he agreed to make that change, and he's a big dude. I'm just saying, like, you don't want to necessarily take Aaron Hackett and put him at just, guard, right? Or or a fullback, and just say, you know what? I know you haven't practiced at this position. You know, go be an offensive lineman for this game. That that's not safe. At least Chris Elmore practiced at that position. Yes. He agreed to the position switch. He's a big boy who, you know, has obviously held his own for the most part. Um, but that gets to be dangerous if you're putting someone in that in that position that's that's just not equipped to do what they need to do to protect themselves or protect others. And with that, we will take a break. Nate Mink, who wrote the article, joins us on the other side. We'll we'll talk about the roster size. We'll talk about the scholarship issues. We'll talk about who's to blame for that. We'll talk about Syracuse and Liberty. That's all next on ESPN Radio. On Twitch, Q Sports Talk and ESPN Radio 97.7 at 100.1. Our take on the day's top stories. It's today's business on Orange Nation. All right, Seth, what do you have for us in uh, today's business? Let's start with Le'Veon Bell, Steve. We talked about this yesterday briefly, but he got cut by the Jets. He is now officially a free agent. And a report out today that he will sign with either the Dolphins, the Chiefs, or your Buffalo Bills. Yeah, um, and Sean McDermott confirmed today that that they were looking at him and they're they're thinking about it. Um, you know, I would be surprised if Le'Veon Bell joined the Bills. In that, I don't know as if you want to mess up the mojo that they have. Um, he's obviously a big person. Like part of 
Part of why I think this team works and and Sean McDermott works is that you get the sense they really don't have any egos on you know and I know professional football players have egos but you know what I mean like these guys generally that it's a blue collar town you've got blue collar players you've got I mean even Stefan Diggs he's he's bought into that role he's not the you know the typical prima donna wide receiver I don't know as if you want to bring in Le'Veon Bell he's a terrific talent but does he does he mess with the mojo that you've got in, in Buffalo and in that locker room. You've got a couple of young running backs in Singleton and Moss. I I don't know. I would be I'd be surprised if he ends up in Buffalo. I'd do it. I'd pull the trigger on it. I, I think that Le'Veon Bell is so dynamic um a player. Don't you think that, that it works? And I know that he might he, he's got some he's, personality. He sticks stuff. out a little bit. Like he does I don't see him fitting in there. He might not. But if you only have one of those, like they've got a really good thing going. He's going to be on a minimum contract. He's going to be uh, not the top of the pecking order anywhere, running back, receiver, whatever. Um, you know, maybe it puts him in his place a little bit. He says he wants to win. He says he wants a good fit. I think that you know you can get him in the building as you know. Hey, look, we can win with you here, and that's a positive. So. You know, maybe it's maybe it's more of a receiver role even than a running back role. As you know, we know how good a receiver he can be. You know, maybe you use him as as kind of like a a, a slot guy. You know, I I think that the Bills have some good receivers, but Le'Veon Bell is solid there, solid out of the backfield. I don't know. I, I think that it's interesting to look at. If you're signing him, if you're gonna roll the dice and take the chance, you're playing him, in my opinion. Like if they yes. go after him, he's your he becomes your starting running back. I would think. He probably takes some carries from Singletary. Yeah. I, I think he absolutely like if you're gonna if you're gonna jump in and and take on that risk of having him in your locker room and on your team, you're doing so. I I would imagine because you want to give him the football. So I I don't I don't know. I just to me he doesn't really fit with what who the Bills are. He's a great talent. Um, I I think the other two destinations make a lot more sense. Than Buffalo. Uh, moving on. Dino Babers, ranking 46th in the USA Today co- uh, Coaches com- uh, Compensation Database. I'll say that right eventually. I, I always love this every year when we get it because I'm always curious to see like who has a comparable salary with with Dino. Um, and I'm also curious to see the t- like when you told me we were going to talk about this, I I just I said is Saban number one? You said yeah. I said is Dabo number two? Um, t- actually, Ed Orgeron is number two, which I guess makes sense coming off the season that they had um, that he would be number one. He's he's just shy of of what Saban's making. Saban's at nine point one million. Uh, Orgeron's at at essentially eight point seven. Um, interesting to note that of the top ten, only two guys. Took a pay cut this year, Jim Harbaugh, and Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma. Uh, Jimbo did not. Kirby Smart did not. Dabo did not. Surprise, surprise. Dan Mullen well, Don, did not. It says Dabo took a little bit. Where do you see that in the in the right total pandemic reduction column? There oh, are two. I see. So he didn't. So I wonder what the what the uh, I don't know what the difference what the reduction is. was. It was it was not off his base salary. So did he give back a bonus or something? Maybe. But uh, he took the biggest reduction of anybody in the country. You're right. Okay, or so I stand corrected on Dabo. Did you know? And I'm just seeing this now. Dan Mullen still with zero though. By the way, can, uh, yeah, shocking. 
Can I uh, can I ask a strange question? Did you know that Arkansas's coach is somebody named Sam Pittman? I did not. I'm just finding this out now. Like I'm, Arkansas uh, might be the most anonymous, and I know we're saying this coming from Syracuse. They might be one of the most anonymous Power Five football programs there is out there. Yes. Uh, let's see. But look, Dino Dino is immediately ahead of Dave Doran, Jeff Collins, Scott Satterfield. NC State, Georgia Tech, Louisville. And this number is from a couple of years ago in tax documents because we don't have you know, their most up-to-date because they're not a public school. So I think that if you're looking at it in the context of where is Dino Babers as compared to other ACC coaches, I think that you're probably like pretty favorable. He's also... Uh, $200,000 behind Mac Brown, $300,000 behind Mike Norvell. So it's very possible that Dino is making more than Florida State, North Carolina, NC State, Georgia Tech, and Louisville's head coaches. Yeah, that is interesting. Very possible. Um, I got to the bottom of the Dabble thing. So he has a, a $1 million retention clause in his contract that August 1st it kicks in. Um, if he's you know still the head coach... Every August, I, I I would assume it's every August he gets a you know like a one million dollar bonus, um, and he just he defer he just said uh, I'm not taking the bonus this year, um, and it, that it makes sense. Yeah, so again he he's still getting paid his normal salary with his contract, but it was it was actually two bonuses that he said you don't have to give me, so one point two five million. So I so I stand corrected. I'm glad you pointed that out. So of the top ten, three coaches. Decided to take a pay cut. Jim Harbaugh, Lincoln Riley, Dabo was the third. He didn't reduce his his salary. He just said, "You don't have to give me the bonuses this year," and they you know rolled it back over into the the Clemson athletics budget. And and he can afford it. It's making yeah. I think he can almost eight and a half think, million. I think it's okay. One of the stunning parts of this is his buyout is fifty million dollars. Yeah, you mentioned that. Uh, like, that's fair. unbelievable. He's not going anywhere. No. Uh, two other things I wanted to get to quickly before we, we get Steve Andrus on the line. Uh, the NCAA announced uh, tournament sites for the basketball uh, basketball tournament every March. Uh, they announced those sites through 2026, the Carrier Dome not on the list. Yeah, I saw that. So they um, will have got at least a decade between hosting regionals. That's a tough break. Uh, obviously, it's so important to the economy and so important with college basketball fans being being here, um, you know, I used to love going to the games when I was a kid. You know, if there was an NCAA tournament in town, I didn't care who was. I just lo- I was college yeah. basketball junkie. Just loved going to games. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's unfortunate for the college basketball fan here. It's also unfortunate for the economy here. Yeah, and I get why they hadn't gotten it a lot the last couple of years, and that they were unsure of the the dome renovation timeline. Uh, but now that they were awarding 2023 through 26, and you felt like the project would be done, and you were going after it. Um, it's a blow for sure. Uh, last one I wanted to mention, Daryl Morey, the Houston Rockets GM, uh, has stepped down. Say so it was his decision. He uh, Woj is reporting that he, he saw an opportunity. He's got two college-age kids who are both on a gap year, so he's thinking maybe he'll take one too. He'll, uh, he'll step aside, spend some time with them uh, as their home during the pandemic. Um, and it's also been, uh, it's been quite a year for Daryl Morey. Yeah. You know? Uh, think back to about a year ago at this time. It's It's been a year. Yeah, it has been. Um, and if that's the reason, good for him. I mean, you know, taking time off, you can't get this time back. I'm, I'm dealing with that with my daughter right now who's, you know, a senior in high school, and I'm I'm going through all the last things of her. You know, I mean, she's in her final high school soccer season, and it is it is emotional. So good for him. If he gets a chance to, to spend a gap year with his kids and spend more time with his family, um, I you know, 
I'm all for it. I, th- I think he's he's got his priorities straight. We talked about Nick Saban not having his priorities straight. Sounds like uh, he, at least publicly, that's what he's saying. I, I hope that's the reason. Sounds like he does have his priorities straight. With that, we will take a timeout. We've got Steve Andrus from Radio.com Sports to join us next as we talk fantasy football. We're back after this on ESPN Radio.